Hello and welcome to this episode of Wise Human. Today I have with me a very special guest. His name is Michael Anthony. That's what you go by, right? Um, or do you go well, I mean, that is my name, but of course, you know, we go Michael and Broken has become the kind of moniker that has entangled itself in the the dual personalities that I have between my actual life and my public persona, which are now mended into one in the same. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So we'll go with Michael and Broken. You're an author, a podcast host, a coach, and a motivational speaker, among many other things, with a mission to end generational trauma which I think is so incredibly important. And you you speak about experiencing pretty intense trauma as a child growing up. Um, for my audience who maybe doesn't know you, would you be open to going in and sharing a little bit of what that was like? I will create context in that, but first disclaimer, um, one, what I'm going to say is going to be super fucking intense. And two, in what I say, I understand that people will listen and go reflect on their own experiences and the words, oh, well, my life wasn't that bad will appear. And I will, uh, I'll encourage you not to do that because this is not a fucking game show. Um, and people get caught up in these ideals of, well, it wasn't that bad. So what am I complaining for? And it's like, well, perspective, retrospective, introspective, like let's, uh, look at it through that concept, those angles. Um, so I grew up in Indianapolis. Mother was a drug addict and alcoholic. Um, she actually cut off my right index finger when I was four years old. And so that's where we jump off. Right. Um, stepdad, super abusive, kicked the shit out of my brothers. And I put me in the hospital multiple times. And I never met my real father except for once. We spent the majority of my childhood deeply impoverished and homeless. In fact, I lived with over 30 different families between the time that I was eight till I was 12. So imagine there's really nothing to hold on to or grasp onto as a kid. And so I turned to drugs. And at 12 years old, I got high for the first time, started smoking weed, popping pills. By 13, I got drunk. And at 15, I was kicked out of school for selling drugs. You know, standard American story. And, and as I'm kind of like moving about the world at 15, 16, I, I get a call from the school one day and they're like, hey, you need to come and speak to the guidance counselor. And I'm like, for what? You guys already kicked me out. <laughs> and my grandma overheard the conversation and she was like, no, you need to go to school and see what they want. So I go to school. It's like the day or day after. And, um, I walk in the library, I'm sitting there, and this lady I've never met sitting with the counselor, they give me this whole spiel about you're going to end up dead or in jail. And I'm like, yeah, no shit, I already know this. And they say, well, we're going to give you an opportunity to join a last chance program. And I took it, obviously, because, well, maybe it's not obvious. I took it because I was like, I don't want to be the thing that everyone expects that I'm going to be. And so... I found myself in this last chance program for the first time ever. I actually had straight A's. I started dating the head cheerleader. I was captain of the wrestling team, co-captain of the football team. Like things were really great. During this window, I actually had put a restraining order on my mother and my stepfather. 
And so you can actually see this reflected in my grades from straight D's and straight F's, getting kicked out of one high school, going to this other one, getting kicked out of this high school. And then all of a sudden I make this really difficult decision at 15 years old. I tell my mother, I'm putting a restraining order on you, stay out of my life. And then suddenly, boom, all these cool things start happening, right? Well, my mother gets sober for the first time ever. My grandmother falls into a coma when I'm a senior in high school. And my grandmother allowed my mother to move back into our home. And almost immediately overnight, my mom is back to drinking a gallon of vodka a day, popping pill, like literally a gallon. I'm not exacerbating that. Popping pills. And next thing you know, she's back to where she was. Now, obviously, I don't understand what's happening at 18 years old because I'm a kid. As an adult, looking back, I go, oh, she was in her place of trauma and abuse. She was coping. She was using her um, defensive mechanisms for survival. She was in that place. Well, the only thing I knew to do at that time, because here's what effectively had happened. I now had straight Fs. I missed 90 days of school, and I didn't graduate, right? Because now I was dealing with all of this. And I told my mother... I will never talk to you again. One night after she attacked me, just shit faced. And I meant it and I didn't, except maybe like one time until the day she died. And Nicole, I'll tell you this, I would not be here talking to you today had I not made that decision. And it's literally the hardest decision I've ever made. Nothing, nothing I've ever done is more difficult than that moment, period, right? And so I don't graduate high school. I'm in summer school and the, summer school teacher comes up to me and he's like, dude, we're so sick of you. We're done with you. Here's your diploma. Get out. And so I have this fake high school diploma. You can't even count it. I, I had graduated with like a 1.2 GPA and I missed 90 days my senior year. I did not graduate high school. And so I'm simultaneously got fired from my job where I was working in a warehouse, putting microchips into motherboards all day. Right. So I'm sitting in my, I just get kicked out of high school. Basically now I'm really in trouble. I get kicked out of a fired from a job that like, honestly, anyone could do. I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what is happening right now? And I was just sitting there and I'm, I'm like the sun's setting and I'm listening to music. And I'm like, all right, all right, hold on. There's, there's gotta be a solution in here somewhere for all of this. Like somewhere in all of this, there is something I'm missing. And what hit me, what struck me in that moment, I was like, oh, it's money. That's the solution for all this. The homelessness, the poverty, the abuse, the it's money. And so I was like, all right, cool. By the time I'm 21, I want to make $100,000 a year. And that was really important to me and more so to do it legally and the legal part mattered because I've been in handcuffs like more times than I can count. I've got family in prison for life. Literally right now, they've been in prison since I was a child. And my three childhood best friends have been murdered. So I knew where I was going if I didn't make a drastic change. So I just started working and I got a, a management job at a, a fast food joint at 18, leading a team of 52 people doing a million bucks in burgers and fries. And it was crazy. And I learned more about leadership in those two years than I have in anything else that I've ever done in my life. But it wasn't pushing me to my goal. And I was chatting with a friend one night 
And he's like, from my neighborhood. He went to the school I went to. We used to wake up and get stoned and go to school together, right? And this dude was working for a major corporation, driving a $50,000 car, and his life seemed to be on track. And I was like, what are, what, how, I don't understand this. Like, how are you doing this? Like, what do you, like, what, what yarn have you spun? And uh, he was like, I got a job working at an insurance company. And Nicole, I was like, what the fuck? Because I didn't know you could do that. I'd never been exposed to this, right? And so I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go figure this out. And for two years, I got really, it was kind of like a trial by fire because for two years, I applied to hundreds of companies across the United States in the insurance industry. And everyone told me no until one told me yes. Just takes one. Yep. That's, and it's the three feet from gold mentality. Right. And so I just kept going and going and going. And then what happened is that right as I was turning 21, I cashed my first check for 10,000 bucks by the time I was 26, I made a million dollars, almost a million. It was like 980, right? And uh, it came at a price, a huge price. And that's the thing people don't understand. It came at a price of my integrity, my truth, my humanity. And I found myself at 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking myself to sleep, high from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, $50,000 in debt and borrowing money from my fucking girlfriend who lived with me to pay our rent. And I was cashing checks for 15 grand every month. Right. And, and I hit rock bottom. I was just like, so consumed with the chaos of my own thoughts. And in that, what came is I, I found myself in bed on a Saturday morning right? It's like 11 o'clock. I'm smoking a joint, eating chocolate cake. Keep in mind, I'm fucking 350 pounds and I'm watching the CrossFit games. Like, <laughs> like rock bottom. Like it, the only way it gets worse, if like I was rolling around in chocolate syrup or something. <laughs> right. And I was like, what the fuck is going on, dude? And so I pull myself up out of bed. I go in the bathroom. I, I'm looking at myself in the mirror. It's vitriolic, right? Cause I'm mad. I'm so mad at myself. And I remembered being eight years old and the water company had come and turned our water off. Now imagine this. I grew up in Indianapolis. I grew up in the United States in the greatest country in the world. And we were so fucking poor. They turned our water off. I go in the backyard, take this little blue bucket. I walk across the street to our neighbor's house and I stole water from the side of their house. And it was stilling because my mom was like, go over there and make no noise and don't let them know and get that water and come back. So that's why I always create that contact. And as I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm in this blistering hot Indiana summer day, sweating, being eight years old, holding this bucket, being like, what is actually happening? And I remember thinking like, when you're grown up, this will not be your life. And on a lot of ways, it wasn't, right? A lot of ways it wasn't, but in so many ways, I was that hurt, lost little boy. And, and in that, and remembering that moment, as I looked at myself in the mirror 
on arguably the rock bottom of my life, I asked myself a question. So what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the answer you call, I don't know where this came from, Nicole, God, mother nature, Batman, I don't know. But in my head, it was no excuses, just results. That became the key to life for me. That was 13 years ago. And every day since that moment, I've lived into that to the fullest of my ability. And it's not that I don't fuck up sometimes because I assure you I do. But it's like everything that I am today is because of that. And I made a decision, go to therapy, go to coaching, go to conferences, get educated, read the books, watch the videos. Podcasts weren't really a thing then, but it was like, listen to the audio programs, go to Tony Robbins, learn from all these amazing mentors, study, and then most importantly, take massive action in the direction that I'm terrified. And that's what I've done every single day leading to this moment, talking to you. It's quite a journey. How did you know what you needed to do to change your life? Like, how did you know about therapy and about these programs when you weren't exposed to it growing up? Well, I was exposed to therapy as a kid because when I was eight or nine, I was molested by a member of our church. And so I had to go to therapy. And then I, as I was like 10, 11, I had to continue to go to therapy because I was angry. Think about the way that children communicate. Well, we do it by what we learn. And what did I learn? I learned that communication was violence. And so I was fighting kids all the time. Like I even stabbed a kid with a fork one time. Like if that gives you any context of how nuts it was. One of my little brothers, he knows I say this, he tried to stab me with a knife when we were 11 years old. My stepdad kicked the shit out of us. My mom kicked the shit out of us. My grandma, even though she adopted me, kicked the shit out of us. Like there was violence everywhere. And so I had to go to therapy, right? And so people ask me that question all the time. Like, how did you know what to do? And what did you do? Nicole, you know what to do. We all know what to do. Are you going to listen though? And that's the thing, right? I decided to listen. I was like, look, dude, fucking do something. And whatever that is, just try it all. And that's what I did. Like, I tried it all. I tried every modality you can imagine of therapy. I tried every kind of online program. I read every kind of book you can imagine. I did all the, all the Reiki and fucking yoga that anybody could ever do on planet Earth. Because I was just like, let's try it all. And in the back of my head, it's the same way you're like, all right, you know, you shouldn't eat certain foods. You shouldn't drink certain things. You shouldn't date certain people. You probably shouldn't fuck certain people either, but you kind of do it right. And you're ignoring your truth. You're, you're stuffing down your reality. And I made a decision to stop doing that because what I understood, what I still understand to this day is like, when you put your head on the pillow at night, and you can't sleep because your brain is like, hey, motherfucker. And your body is like, yo, are you paying attention? And you're, you're consumed by the reality that you live in. And you know what you need to do. Until you do that, nothing in your life will be different. And on a long enough timeline, what's really fascinating is that you are going to die. 
And if you don't address those things that keep you awake at night, you're going to die with regret. And that's a life unlived. And so like when I think about this journey and I recognize one empirical and inherent truth about who I am, I am only scared of one thing, literally only one thing. And that is dying with regret. So I made a decision. And it's the same choice that I operate through every single day based on my values, my integrity, my value, my, my boundaries, my moral compass, and who it is that I want to become. I filter everything I ever do through those constructs. And I do it. Are there ever times that you don't do it or that you get off course or forget who you are? Of course, all the time, every single day. And I fucking go, all right, dude, get it together. What do you want? What are you pushing towards? Who do you want to be? Why are you in that friendship? Why are you in that relationship? Why are you speaking on that stage? Why are you doing that thing? And it's, it's massive and brutal honesty. Anyone who ever would sit down and tell you otherwise is a liar. We all struggle with that. That's the nature of humans. The mm -hmm. easiest thing to do is go back to comfortable numbness. What's better? You know, my favorite thing is sitting on the couch, getting stoned, playing video games and eating gummy bears. Do you know how many times I've done that in the last 13 years? When's the last time you did that? Yeah, I don't know. 13 years ago, probably. Why? Because I made a decision. That's not who I want to be. But in the, in the little moments, those, those like minuscule things in which you think don't matter, that's in the, the moments you must hold yourself to highest integrity. And I do my damnedest to try to make sure I do, but like I make mistakes. I will go outside of my character. No one is 100% integrous. And when I do, I go, why did I do that? Why did I do that? And I get clarity on it because the truth is most of the time, the reason that I did it was because I was scared about what was to come. The truth, right? I'm scared of whatever is in front of me. And I've had to force myself into that discomfort time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. And that's why I'm here today, because I've been able to effectively do that. And it's not that I don't get scared. It's not that I don't get mis make mistakes. I mean, I do. Anybody, look, here's the problem with the society we live in, like, and especially in the role that I have in the world, being a mentor, a coach, a leader, a podcast host, an author, a speaker, blah, blah, blah. People expect me to be perfect. But I don't have that expectation of myself. So it's this really fascinating dichotomy where people will hit me up and they'll be like, you know, you should think about this or you did this or you did that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know I did because I'm the one who did it. I lived this life. I'm fully cognizant and aware that the way that I operate isn't fitting for everyone. And when people stop trying to hold themselves to this level of accountability, that is impossible. You're never going to be perfect. Then you'll be free. And so when I make mistakes, which I do and which I will guarantee, as much as I know the sun will come up in the morning, I know that I'm going to fuck up. And when I do, I get clarity about why it happened, where it came from. I connect the dots and then I give myself an understanding of how to not do it again. Now, sometimes, Nicole, I got to go to my coach. I have to go to my therapist. 
And like, I've done so much fucking work at this point. My dude's literally on speed dial. I'm like, yo man, we haven't talked in a while. I got some shit came up. We got to figure this out. Right. And then I go in there and I do it. And then I rinse and repeat that till the day I die. Yep. It's, it's always cyclical and there's deeper layers always emerging. Right. So having grace, I think is really important. And I think a lot of us can be really challenging on ourselves to stick to something and not have grace when we don't meet the expectation that we had. How do you navigate that? By knowing that I'm going to die and it doesn't actually matter. And, and I've always been that way. Like, I think that maybe the abuse beat me into nihilism. <laughs> like I think about that a lot, but even as a kid, I was like, this is pointless. Like whatever is happening right now, doesn't actually matter. And so it's really easy to beat yourself up because you're like, oh my God, I didn't do the thing. But it's like, it doesn't actually matter all the time. Can you live into your truth? Can you show up? Can you execute when you fall down? Can you get up? Can you learn from your mistakes? Can you go forward? Can you recognize that the life that you do have possibilities are infinitesimal and endless, right? It's like you can have anything that you want, but if you're trapped and beating yourself up for something that you did 36 years ago, well, this is going to be a really hard rest of your life. And so what happens is I, I look at it. So I'm very analytical. So I'll put it this way. I look at everything as a context of, of an equation. And so I think there's really five parts into this journey, right? I think there's five parts and, and we're going to talk about this grace thing, but it starts with acknowledgement. Like this is where it all begins because most people because of how painful the experience of life can be, if that's the way you choose to look at it, most people who experience life through the scope of pain, stuff it down and stuff it down and stuff it down. Well, and then you find out, well, there are dire ramifications for that. Read the body keeps the score. You'll know everything that you need to know. Well, when you acknowledge it, you bring truth to light. I remember I was in therapy one time. I'm sitting across from him. And I'm talking about this nightmare I constantly was having. It was Freddy Krueger murdering my mother in a grocery store and me screaming at the top of my lungs and everyone ignoring me. And for years, since I was probably five years old, that dream had haunted me. We're talking about 20 something years. And I tell him in therapy, the dream, and he goes, you know, when you bring this darkness to light, it loses its power over you. I was like, damn, that's good shit. I wish I would have thought of that. And so I'm sitting here in this moment of acknowledgement, looking at my life and coming to the conclusion that I'm not culpable for these terrible and horrific things that have happened to me. And that's what acknowledgement is. The, a lot of people look at acknowledgement and they think it's blame or responsibility, but it's not. It's simply looking at fact. Look at fact. Don't look at the truth that you think is real. Look at unequivocal, undeniable fact that you could hold up in a court of law where they go, yep, that's fact, right? Because everybody's interpretation of truth is different, right? Think about this. When you and I met, we may have a very, very different understanding of what was happening. And then a third party who might be privy to the moment that you and I connected would look at it and go, they have a different opinion. But there's one fact that we know in certainty that we cannot deny. We were in line to get coffee period. Fact. 
cannot argue that. And so that's the way that I look at life. I go, what are the facts? Can I acknowledge them? Good. Because when I acknowledge the fact, then you come to realize children cannot be culpable for the things that happen in childhood. And then something really interesting happens. You step through acknowledgement, and that gives you the ability to explore. And what I mean by that is you get to start looking at life through this new scope of where you go, actually, I'm not responsible for this. But now I have to explore what I am responsible for. And here's what's really interesting. From that moment of that recognition, now you're responsible for everything. Because now you've put yourself in a position of understanding that it's on you. But what's interesting is when you're in an exploration, something even more incredible happens is discovery. And in discovery, you start to really understand who you are. You shift into a new identity. You begin to become the person that you knew you were capable of being before you were indoctrinated in bullshit. And in that discovery, you get this thing called freedom. Because now you start operating as the person that you knew you were. And in freedom, you find that grace must exist because it's equilibrium. And through that grace and through that freedom, you fall into love. And when you get there, my friend, that's where everything really changes. Do you think anybody escapes childhood without trauma? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> no. And look, and here's why. And look, I don't think that, I don't think generally speaking, most people's family dynamics are meant to destroy them. I just think it happens. Humans are volatile by nature. We we want to pretend because we live in, think about this, Nicole, we live in literally the greatest time to be alive ever. More access to information, longer lifespan ever than ever because of medical interventions more connection than we've ever had, more freedom than ever has existed. The chances of like death are so infinitesimally small in comparison to what it was 2000 years ago. Because all we were doing was running around killing each other all the time. Like we're fucking animals. And so you're operating in this scope of generations of abuse and trauma and pain and suffering and hurt. And we're just now literally for the first time ever in history, questioning it and going, maybe we've been really dumb and we don't need to do this. And so my hope is because the mission of everything I do is create a world in which generational trauma ends and I become ultimately pointless. I know on a long enough timeline that'll happen but you and I are going to be dead for a really long time. But we're planting the seeds now that lead down that potential of that path, right? And so I assume that if we do a good job on a long enough timeline, that question that you asked me just now, the answer will be yes. But it probably ain't going to happen. Yeah, it's... We're making strides. And like you said, we're finally aware of the fact that we should look at these things and 
make change before it was like stuff everything down move forward just keep going not a big deal don't cry so thank you so much for the work that you are doing um how has your childhood and the trauma that you experienced within your relationships specifically you know your parents who are supposed to be the people that teach you what love is unconditional love well love doesn't need that right it's just it is innately unconditional how has that affected your relationships all relationships but more specifically romantic relationships in every way imaginable I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's really, the universe is so funny because I've been on like four or five shows this week and every person has asked me that question. So I don't know what the universe is telling me right now. Um, but I, I look at it and when, when I was young, like first started dating, I just, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the dynamic between men and women, right? I, I didn't understand what it, what it meant to be emotional or vulnerable or to even hold hands with someone the walls were so high, they were impenetrable. You're not getting in. And I, I cognizantly dated women who were emotionally unavailable because then I didn't have to worry about it. And I knew on a long enough, I knew eventually it would all crumble. And that was great. And, and what happened know is- that? Or was that sorry? subconscious? Did you consciously know that? or was I that consciously knew that. I knew what I was doing. Okay. So mm -hmm. here's one of the, I'm, I've always been quite, astute of my own chaos, if you will. I think a lot of us are, but I wasn't afraid to name it for myself. So uh, one of the reasons I've been able to do that is I've always been a writer. Ever since I was a kid, I've written. And I, I mean, I literally wrote a vampire romantic comedy when I was eight years old. I love <laughs> like, that. <laughs> for real. And my mom being a crazy Mormon person, because we grew up in the Mormon church, ripped it up. She was like, that's not allowed in our house. I'm like, yeah, but those bottles are, you fucking psycho. And so, you know, it's like one of those things where I've always written. And so I would even, I would journal, I would write these stories, I would write these understandings that I had in the world. Sometimes it would be crazy shit. And, and I would always be like, in this writing, find some kind of understanding of who it was that I am, or was, I should say at the time. And I would write about the women I would see, and I would write about how it felt to be around them. And I would write about what it was like to like be in connection with them, not really having those words, but it was like, I hung out with Susie and blah, 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 blah. Right. And I always knew that I didn't want to let them in. So I made sure that for a long time that I, I didn't date anyone who ever wanted an emotional connection. It was like, let's just hook up. Because if you want more than that of me, I can't deliver it. And then what, what started to happen is I would be with women who would want more and I'd be like, okay, I guess I'll try it. And then next thing you know, I'm in the most emotionally volatile, crazy, uh, full of infidelity relationship you could ever imagine. And they stayed, right? Because people feel like they can fix each other, which you can't. And, and I found myself in relationships where it was like I was dating me, where it was just chaos on both sides, where like she's cheating on me and I'm cheating on her and we're both pretending it's not happening. And then we'll bump into the person we fucked when we're in public together. And then it's chaos, you know, and it's stuff like that when you're 22 years old and you're emotionally immature in this way that you don't even understand. 
And then I rinsed and repeated that and did it again and again. And then when I started this healing journey, I got deep into it. I, I made two declarations to myself. One was you're not allowed to date. And two is you're not allowed to have sex with people. And I, well, really I'll add a third one. Cause I think this is really important and I don't talk about it enough. Third was you have to be sober. And, and that was no drugs, no cigarettes, no alcohol. And there were like sprints of this where it'd be like six months or a year or even two years. And, and those were the times and still to this day, those are the times in which I get the most clarity when I understand myself the best. And in those times of pure sobriety, sitting in the massive discomfort of who it is that I was, knowing that it wasn't like Papa Xanax and Hyde, drink a bottle of wine and pretend it's not real, go fuck your emotions away, right? It was sit in the pain because that's the only way you heal it. And so that's what I did. And I sat in the discomfort and I sat in the misery of loneliness. It's hard to be an orphan. Like for real, it's hard. It's hard to be a fucking orphan. It's even more difficult when the only way that you've ever had human connection was in bed with somebody and you take that away from yourself. But what do you want out of life? I, Nicole, I said it, no excuses. Figure this shit out. And I meant it. And so what happened is eventually it led down this path where I was like, okay, I can date again. I can meet somebody again. And I've had good relationships and I've had bad relationships. And right now there is no relationship because I'm very focused and singular on the idea of creating and building and continuing to become the person that I am. And a lot of that is just simply because, um, you know, I, I think that with the lifestyle I live, it's probably really hard to date me because I'm on an airplane more than I'm at home. And I recognize that. And I, I've made a decision and declaration where I'm like, I don't, I don't want to pull somebody into that unless they live that lifestyle too, right? And I mean, that's just the nature of it. And so now I have more clarity. And, and a lot of that clarity, especially in dating and relationships, has come again from being studious about it. What is my model for a healthy relationship? My stepdad slamming my mom's face into a wall. Okay, cool. I don't think that shit's going to work. So what do we need to do? And that turned into me studying people like Dan Savage and Esther Perel. And then it got deeper into like, okay, cool. Dr. Gabor Mate, he just spoke at my event. Amazing human being. It got even deeper. And I said, let me go to all these conferences. And then I started reading divorce books. Cause I was like, I want to know why it doesn't work. I want to avoid the pitfalls. All these other people have fallen into and, and that's where I'm at now. I'm just being studious of it. And, and today I've written down the ideal scenario that I would be involved in top to bottom. Who is this person? How am I in connection with them? What is our relationship like? And I put that energy into the universe because here's, what's really interesting. There's been so many times in my life. I've had deja vu more. I can't even tell you how many, because I have predetermined what my life would be. And then it's just timeline until it happens. So now I sit in the piece of the timeline of, I don't want to use the word loneliness because I'm not lonely. I'm amazing community, but I sit in the uh, being aloneness of, of it. And it's peaceful because I know whenever it's right, it will be right. And I know that because of the work I've done, the relationships of the past and which I have had relationships, obviously since, you know, being a teen and in my twenties, 
They're non-existent. I don't exist on that plane. That part of the universe of the dimension that we are in is no longer available to me. I have stripped it. I said that door is closed. I've lost the key. We can never go back inside. And so, you know, to, to look at it just from a very straightforward perspective, everything that ever happens to you impacts everything that will ever happen to you. But if you pay attention, the outcome will be different. Yeah. Have you ever been able to fully trust another human being? hundred percent. Yeah. And that came, that came through the willingness of recognizing that we are all fallible. That came through really sitting in the truth. Again, we talked about this facts, sitting in the facts. Not everybody is out to get you. That is in your fucking head. Not everyone's going to break your heart. That is in your head. Not everyone is going to even trust you. That is in your head, right? And so it's so much of it is just being like, again, looking at the equation that I've created in freedom comes love. And so I go, cool. I'm giving you the freedom to love me without any qualifiers. And if you hurt me, well, fuck, sucks. I'm glad I know today instead of tomorrow. Because, and I want to go deeper in that real quick, because here's the reality. If you deny yourself, and this is what people do because it's safe. If you deny yourself the ability to be loved by someone, which requires you instilling trust in them, it's going to be a really lonely existence. I don't want that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you want children? Is that something like having grown up the way that you did? Would you want to have children? Um, I'm still 50-50 about it but I do want to adopt children. Okay. I guess to me, it's kind of the same thing. You had, yeah. Sure. I mean, I guess would be the better way. To yeah. That would be a different, yeah. That's a different question, okay. right? So the short answer to that would be yes, but also I don't want to do it alone. And so that requires the right person to be by my side. Um, part of that also is, you know, I, I look at it and I go, you know, I'm very for, even though my grandmother was a fucking complete psychopath, I'm very fortunate she adopted me. Right. And mm -hmm. so I, I know what it's like to be a homeless kid living in an abandoned house, stealing food from big lots on the corner of the street to survive. And if I can give a child something that helps them, then I feel a moral obligation and responsibility to do that. That's one of the big reasons that my company, we always donate to Operation Underground Railroad every single month because we want to save children from childhood sex trafficking. We've done that for years. I will continue to do that. And so for now, that's my form of that. And on a long enough timeline, perhaps it'll be different. We will see what the universe provides. So why adopt versus have your own child? I don't know. I don't think I've put that much thought into it. Um, the own child thing, I'm not a woman, so I can't literally have my own child, as I'm sure you could imagine. Um, well, but my point your is your sperm, your DNA. I know how it works, but <laughs> I'm saying <laughs> thank you. Um, I, my point is like you need the other person. That's the con like that's the that's the variable in the equation. Without her, there is no that. 
And so mm -hmm. I need her first and then together collectively, I believe we will make that choice. I see. Okay. So you wouldn't necessarily like adopt a child on your own. You want to do it as a partner. I may. I mean, it depends on the context of my life. It'd be incredibly irresponsible for me to even consider that right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Okay. I'll yeah. give you an idea. Last year I was on so I, I have hotels.com. That's where I book a lot of my hotels because I have like their VIP platinum gold thing or whatever. And uh, also not sponsored by hotels.com. Um, and so <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I won't say their name in the future. I just, that just clicked on me. Um, and so I looked it up. I've been in like, not days in a hotel, but like total hotels, like 50 hotels last year. I was on the road for over 145 days last year. You cannot, I don't have plants. I don't have puppies and I can't have kids if I'm living that lifestyle. Yeah. I tried what to have plants. They all died. I don't want to kill a puppy. So we can't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need to live in dog sitter. Um, so what, what are you doing on all this traveling? What takes you to all these places and what are you sharing? What are you doing? What are you working on? It's all different. Um, some of it is my own personal development. Some of it is speaking engagements. Some of it is being on television or re recording shows in person. Um, some of it is business. I'm part of multiple businesses. Some of it is consulting. Some of it is I just wanted to go to a place for a couple of days. So it's all of those things. It's, here's an interesting thought I had today. When I was a kid, the only thing I ever wanted to do was travel all the time. And that's what I do. I love it. Little it, Michael's just cheering for you. It fills me up because it's like, here's, here's why I'll tell you exactly. Know thyself. Nicole, if I can, if anyone takes anything away from this, it's like, know this, know thyself. And when you know thyself, own that shit. People are always making, they're like, oh, I'm sorry. This is who I am. I'm not sorry about anything about who I am. Not one bit. I'm totally content in who I am. Again, not that I'm not fallible and don't fuck up because I assure you that I do. But what I'm saying is it's about ownership of who you are. And so as a kid, I would look, I would watch these movies, right? I loved movies as a kid. It was my escape, right? I still love movies, but I've come to find I can't watch new movies. I do not have the mental capacity for it. So I watch the same movies about 10,000 times a piece. But I watch these movies and there's always like the business guy getting on the plane to go do the deal with the briefcase. And I was like, that's what I want when I get older. And then it's tied in more so. Like I remember, I'll share a story with you. So I'm living at my grandma's house. I'm like 11 or 12 years old. And she hadn't adopted me yet. That I do know in terms of the timeline. But I was at her house. And she was in her rocking chair, sitting back there at, in her nightgown, chain-smoking Misty Slim 100s, drinking a Pabst Blue Ribbon, and playing one of those digital video arcade games. And I'm sitting on the floor in my pajamas, watching this giant, you know, those old wooden televisions that have the TV that's really about like 10 inches big. And I'm, I'm eating Little Caesars. <laughs> so vivid. And so Anthony Bourdain's first show chef's tour is on television and he's traveling. He's doing that Anthony Bourdain thing. And I look back at my grandma and I go, one day I'm going to do that. And Nicole, do you know what she told me? She goes, you shouldn't do that. It's dangerous out there. Mm. 
my grandma has till the day she died was never on an airplane one fucking time. What does she know about the world? You got to be aware of who you're taking your advice from. And so that, that thing about this travel and the adventure of life is what has led me to where I am living all over the world, traveling to all the places, doing all the things, eating all the food, meeting all the people. It's what I want. And like with anything in life, if it's something that you want and you put your effort and energy into it, it will come to fruition. It will be. It's like Paulo Coelho's book, The Alchemist, right? Have you read this book? My absolute favorite. I've read it like five times. So it's one, I love that book as well. It's one of two fiction books I've read in the last 25 years. The other one is Life of Pi. Those are the only two fiction books I've read in 25 years. I just don't like them. Just let me straight up. But that book was so interesting to me because I realized actually what it is, it's a self-help book disguised. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a line in the book, which I'm sure you know, the universe will conspire in your favor. Well, the universe only conspires in your favor if you do what the fuck you're supposed to do. And that's what getting on these planes is and speaking on these stage and coaching these people and writing these books and all of that. It's what I'm supposed to do. And I want it. So I do it. When did you realize that's what you were supposed to do? What was the transition from you doing the work yourself to sharing the work with others? So the thing, I'll, I'll go a little layer deeper. As a child, the only thing I ever wanted to do was travel and be a rock star. Hmm. That's it. I wanted to be Jay-Z or the drummer for the Foo Fighters. That's it. That's all I ever wanted to do. And so as I'm like in this healing journey, years ago, I had a blog. It was just an anonymous blog that I would write and I would just post stuff. And then one day I shared my story. This is probably eight years ago. I shared my story online, kind of put out a lot of the details, right? And just said, fuck it. Here we go. This is where I'm at. This is what happened. Because I just carried it so long by myself and I've been in therapy and like I was progressing or whatever, but I was like, no, I'm just dumping it on the world. Fuck it. I don't care. And social media was very different eight years ago. It's not the same thing we live in today where people are crying on the internet all the time for attention, right? We live in a very, very different world. And people started reaching out to me and they're like, hey, will you help me? And I was like, no. And they were like, hey, will you coach me? I was like, absolutely not. And they're like, hey, this thing that you wrote changed my life. This thing that you shared saved my life. I didn't kill myself today. Thank you for doing that. And I mean, I don't know. It was just like, fuck it. All right, let's see what happens. Maybe if I do this, it'll be a path that shows my brothers what's possible, shows my sister what's possible. And that's just been what it is. This wasn't the game plan at all, at all. I didn't sign, Nicole, I didn't sign up for this job. I didn't ask to be the spokesperson for child abuse. It's not what I wanted. I mean, truth be told, like, the the reality is most people, even though I do what I do, the vast majority of people, they will not change. They refuse it because it's too fucking scary. But those ones that do, oh my God, it's incredible to watch it happen. And that fires me up. So that's why I do it. Why do you think people don't change? What are they afraid Cause they, of? Because they don't want to change. Look, you have to want it. 
you can read all the books, you can go to all the conferences, you can, you know, wear all the beads and do all the yoga classes that you want. But at the end of the day, it comes down to like, what are you going to do? Like when it's on the line, what are you really going to do? And, and I'm only speaking from firsthand experience. Like I'm not talking about shit. I don't get, I'm not like this guy over here who has not lived it. I've I've been in your shoes. People are always like, don't talk unless you walked a mile in their shoes. I've walked a lot of miles. And it's like, I don't, you don't get to 350 pounds, smoking two packs a day, drinking yourself to sleep, cheating on your girlfriend, having your brother tell you never talk to you again and being 50 grand in debt by fucking accident. But you also don't become successful by accident either. And, and here's the reality. We're, we're great with failure. We're great with uh, humans as just a species are so incredibly good with failure. Because it's what we understand. Why? But here's here's where people get lost. Why do we understand failure so well? Because that's where we learn. But what happens is as you get to become an adult as opposed to a child, a child falls down off their bike, scrapes their knee, cries for 38 seconds, get up and does it again. An adult falls down and then becomes the identity of a failure. And until you, you strip that of yourself and go, actually, I'm not a failure. I learned through this in the same way I did when I scraped my knee as a kid, you'll forever remain trapped. And it's hard because you're shedding an identity. You're killing off a part of yourself that no longer serves you to go into the unknown. It's like, here you are at the precipice of this mountain and you're looking at it and you're like, oh shit, there's a cave inside of here. But inside that cave is everything you ever want. But you gotta be willing to walk in and walking inside of that can be a lot of different things for different people. Leaving the relationship, leaving the job, getting in the car and going across the country, hopping on the plane for the first time, right? The opposite, asking that cute girl out. It could be going and applying for the job, walking into the, 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 the rehearsal for the first time for the play, honoring the truth of who you are. And either way you do it, there's going to be an outcome. So you might as well get something for your suffering. And that's the way I think about it. I'm like, fuck, man, if this is going to suck, I might as well get something out of it. You know, like self-respect, integrity, community, all of those things. And, and people think that it's like, I'll listen to a podcast and I'll go to a coaching session and I'll read a book and my life will be different. It'll be a seed. It'll be a seed, but it is now your responsibility to tend to that soil as my friend Tim story so beautifully and elegantly puts so that you can reap the reward. And most people don't want to tend the soil because it's going to take 13 years. Yeah, it's work. It's not instant. And we live in a society of instant gratification. So I want to go back to your brothers and your sister. What has the journey with them been? Are you the first person to kind of look at and start to unpack the trauma? Are they on the same page as you? Has it been a joint thing? Are they still stuck in it? So some things, so I'll put it this way. I will share anything about me. I'm very cautious about what I share about my family. Um, so I'll, I'll create context around that. My, my journey with them was always tumultuous because we were pitted against each other as children. 
And so you can imagine what that's like. We are fighting each other for love all the time. But love from our our mom. Like, I remember one time my mom was like, we're super fucking poor. So it was like amazing to go to the dollar movies. Like, really? And and she was like, okay, somebody's going to earn a trip to the movies today and somebody's not. And she would force us into something, right? Whatever chaos it was. And that created this really uncomfortable and painful dynamic for us. And so it's led to the place now I'm making all this money. I'm in my early 20s. I had never done anything to support my brothers in any capacity. Not at all. I made a million bucks. I never gave them a penny. Maybe paid their rent once or twice or some shit like that. But I never really supported them. And and that drove a wedge between us. Part of it, I think, was in, in because I was living in a in a false falsehood of who it was I was. Right. I was being fake. It was full of shit, period. I'll call it what it is all day long. I know this. And one of the things I love about my, my sister and like the context of it is like, we didn't grow up together. She had a different father. She did not experience a 10th of what we did. Very different life. She's not biracial. She didn't go through the chaos of our education system. I mean, there was shit. She started to deal with my mom. She still had all the other things. There was shit. I'm not saying my sister suddenly had it like way easier than us. There was a lot of shit, but we were always disconnected and she's much older than me, but she was always the person to come to my games. She walked me down like the aisle thingy during our homecoming game. Like she came to the wrestling tournaments and when I won medals and awards and she came to my graduate, she was always there. And I love her dearly and I will forever for that. And just over the years, especially as I've gotten deeper into this work, you know, one of the first things that I did is I attempt reconciliation with all of them. And there was a lot of fuck you. A lot of that for a long time. And that's what it was. And then it turned into, I love you. And that just came through doing the work independently together. I've taken some of my siblings to like Tony Robbins. I took, I think you met one of my brothers actually, when we were at um, Lewis's event, I took him there, you know, and it was like, I want him to be in that. I want them to be in those environments because they don't listen to me. You don't listen to your sister. Like, let's call it what it is. Right. <laughs> and that's just human nature. Right. And so it's just like, I, I want to expose them and expose them, expose them. And so now it's different, right? The same brother who said never talk to me again is the same brother that I spend two hours on the phone with all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah, there was a moment I went to Bali for a while. And in that space, I learned a lot about myself and had a lot of personal growth. And when I came back, I was like, I know the way and I wanted to like share it, but that's not the way that you share it. And I talked to my sister and I was like, I really want to work on our relationship. And she just said, I don't, like, I don't have the capacity for that right now. I don't want to. And that was a hard thing to swallow because I was like, oh shit. Okay. Okay. And I can't, I can't do anything about that. That's where she's at right now. And then years later, us both having done work on our own, now we talk about all this stuff and we can like reflect on childhood and things that have shaped us into who we are and we're really supportive of each other now but it took us both finding that on our own to be able to then meet in that space yeah it's beautiful i mean like that that that's that's what it was over here too it was like at some point these lines are going to intersect and so i actually had to step back and just accept fuck you 
I just did. And like, realistically, I deserved it. I don't fault them for that. It's mm -hmm. fucking asshole, right? There's something that happened in your dynamic where you're just like, fuck you. Yeah, for sure. Right? And then, and then eventually it comes to pass that, okay, let's figure this out. And that's fortunate. And that has not happened for everybody. And that's not lost on me. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. I feel very grateful as well to be in the same situation. So what's next for you? Everything. What are One at all. One at all, like I, my, my life and, and I try not to be rigid about it, but I, I know I want to be on the biggest stages and I want to write the best books and I want to have the biggest podcast and I want to have the most influence and I want to live this beautiful life of wealth, health, and abundance and all of the possibility of the infinitesimal. And I want everything that's in alignment with my mission, my values, my morals, my integrity, and my boundaries. Like I want everything. What's the next step? What's your like main focus right now? Continuing to do what I do. I mean, I've been doing the same thing for seven years. Mm -hmm. You know, there's really? no such thing as an overnight success. More speaking gigs, more interviews, more podcasting, more writing books, more coaching people, more conferences, more of like, it's just keep doing the same thing. Success leaves clues. Do the thing that worked. Mm -hmm. That's all I'm doing. This is what I will do. This is my life. People, a huge mistake people make is they're like, suddenly I'm going to try nine different things. I'm like, why don't you try the fucking thing that works? You know, and so that's what I'm doing. Continuing mm -hmm. that, stepping further and deeper down that path, continuing to connect to, to incredible, incredible human beings like yourself and just showing up for myself. Because here's the reality. At the end of the day, like attracts like. And so I have to continue to level up. The things that I want, one of the greatest things a mentors ever told me was that I wasn't ready to get the thing that I wanted. And I still feel that way today. I'm like, I'm not ready for it. There's something missing in the equation. So I keep going forward until it presents itself. Beautiful. Yeah, that's excellent. Because even if the opportunity arises and you're not ready, it's, it's not going to align. Yeah. It's like, I was, it's funny. You just said that I was listening to Kevin Hart on uh, Jay Shetty's show today. And I don't, I don't particularly listen to Jay's show or even Kevin for that matter. And he said, something said like, listen to this show today while I'm in the gym and I'm listening to it. And he said, you have to be prepared. You have to be prepared. I'm going to paraphrase because you have to be prepared because you have no idea when opportunity is actually going to knock. I need to make sure I'm on my game. I need to make sure I have my tight five, my tight 20, my non-explicit content, my family-friendly content. I need to be good on stage. I need to know how to do all these things all the time. So when the opportunity is ready, I am too. And Nicole, that's all I am. That's all I ever do. Every day, like it's incredible to me. Like, I used to, until I talked to more people and I realized I'm not actually a psycho, I, I'd sit and I like literally do my talks, my speeches, my 20 minute speeches, my 45 minute speeches, my 90 minute speeches, just in my living room all the time. Mm -hmm. the, the interviews that I do with people, I run them through my head. 
the books I write, I plot it all out. It's in there and I put it and it, like, that's what it is. I just rinse and repeat that. There is no next big thing. All of the things matter. If somebody is just starting out on the healing journey, what do you recommend? Where do they start? In the truth, in fact, in that equation I laid out in those five steps, but, but most importantly, it's like, you know, I, I think when I look back on the journey and in the beginning, it was scary and it still is honestly. I mean, new TD Jake says it better than I ever could new levels, new devils. Right. And so it's like that onion you're unpeeling and you're discovering who you are at a deeper capacity and clip. And I think the most important thing that you can do at the beginning is recognize an empirical truth about this entire experience. You don't know who you are because you've never been allowed to be you before. And give yourself some grace as you discover that person, because it's going to suck a lot. And then it'll suck less. Then it'll suck less than that. And then one day you'll be like, I'm so glad I did all that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you're feeling to share in this moment? I think that you've done a phenomenal job. That's what I'll share with you. As I'm sitting here, I'm like, this is a good fucking conversation. <laughs> so thank you. Seriously. I mean, it. I mean, it. I do this all the time. And sometimes I'm like, is this over yet? <laughs> and so thank you. You're phenomenal. Thank you so much for being here. I do have a few things I'd like to ask you at the end. First of all, how can people get in touch with you? They want to uh, just listen to the Think Unbroken podcast. It's on all the things. Okay. And that'll be linked in the show notes as well. What is your current life mantra or motto? I already told you, no excuses, just results. I'm going to die with that. I'm literally, it's in my will that that has to be on my fucking headstone. How long has that been with you? You said you were in your 20s. Since I was 26, 25 heading into 26, that window. It just, it felt like the thing. Mm -hmm. And if you could tell every single person in this world one thing, and they would, they would internalize it, they would understand it, they would digest it, they would put it into practice, what would that be? Nobody's going to love you until you love yourself. Mm. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here and sharing space and sharing your wisdom. Yeah, my pleasure, my friend. Anytime. Until next time. If you enjoyed this episode or found value in it, I invite you to like, leave a five-star review, or share with a friend. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Thank you, beautiful human, so much for helping spread the word. Blessings to you. Until next time.